Before we get started today, we've put together a little survey for you, our listeners, uh, so we can learn more about what you like and what you want to hear about. So since the beginning of 2020, we've been following along with three different companies and a little bit of a change of format. And we're coming to the end of that first batch of companies. And we want to get your take on what next season might look like. Yeah, so we're taking our own product advice and asking the users here so we can learn a little bit about you, who you are, and what you're interested in, and what you'd like for next season. So that link that we've got the survey at is tbot.io slash giantrobots-survey. Again, that's giantrobots-survey. And your voice is really important to us. So I really hope that you go there and take the survey and let us know. And you'll find the link to that survey too in the show notes for this episode. Thanks very much for your time. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Lindsay Christensen. And I'm your other host, Chad Pytel. And today we are joined once again by the stupendous, amazing Alistair from Tegametrics. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for the uh, intro, Chad, and, and great, to, great to be here with you and Lindsay again. So we've touched on company values, I think, throughout our conversations with you over the last many months. But we're excited to talk with you more about that topic specifically in its own episode. I'm curious how intentional you were about creating company values when you were starting Takeometrics. And if it wasn't intentional in the beginning, at what point did you sort of take a step back and set some company values if you have them? which I'm assuming. You yes. Do. Thanks for adding that at the end. Well, we do have company values that are listed on our website, but I can tell you it's top of mind. It's a great topic for me right now. I feel like as a company, we've reached an important inflection point. I've actually been doing some reading along this. There's a great book by Reid Hoffman called Blitzscaling. And there's a class at Stanford. I think it's CS 183 that you can find on YouTube talking about the different stages of you know, very rapidly growing startups. And there's this interesting concept of the Dunbar number, which is you know when you reach a, a community size of 150 people, the challenges for humans is that you can't actually keep relationships with that many people. My point being, at Takeometrics, we're about 150, approaching 160 people now. So the reason the values is top of mind, I feel like it's that fabric that never changes within the company, although the people can change. And I think it's something that we need to do a better job of. So to answer the question of whether we have values or not, we've had values that are on our website and are being used not as well as I'd have liked. And then a whole new sort of era of the company where I think values are going to be super important. The ones that are on your website, when were those created? At what stage of the company? They were created around 2017, I'd like to say. And that was at the point when we were around the first fundraising point. And, you know, we hired a whole new uh, set of engineers and a CTO at the time that uh, really changed the game. And actually, ThoughtBot was, was part of that journey. So it was that point when we had shipped the product that's really taken us from 
whatever the revenue was to you know where it is today that that growth rate over the last three years so it's about three years ago why was that the time when you actually put them down on on paper was it because you were doing a lot of hiring was it because you wanted investors to understand what they were I think truthfully, at the time, I believe it was either Atish, who was our CTO at the time, or someone in the engineering team brought them in and really pushed on this idea of, you know, we should have values that we use for, you know, recruiting and uh, performance reviews and so on. You know, prior to that, just to sort of step back and think about, you know, my background, you know, I, I've never worked at a company. I've, I've never had a resume. I've never been employed, really, uh, other than working for myself. So there's sort of many things that I've learned along the way and continue to learn. And uh, that was definitely something that was brought in by someone that uh, joined the team. I can't remember exactly where it was. It was definitely the engineering team, though. Mm-hmm. And that's how we sort of moved in that direction. And then, of course, I read about you know, Netflix is the famous deck that you can look up about values and, and the deck that they put together, which is public. And I continue to do more and more research and reading on it. Who was involved in sort of extracting that set of values in addition to, you know, it might have been driven by the engineering team, but was an effort made to involve everybody? I think I was at the forefront of it and we worked together as a senior leadership team which is the team that's making major decisions within the company. And, you know, we reviewed the values. And I think the the principle that we had at that time was um, using words like curiosity as an example, and then coming up with our own definition of what that means at our company at Takeometrics. That era was an interesting one because we were moving so quickly. I can't remember how democratic we were in the sense that, you know, we were sort of voting or anything like that. And that's a great question, Chad, because I think that is a challenge that's hard for any leader to define a culture and values and and get buy-in. Obviously, if you have an entirely democratic process of, you know, what should be our values, and let's say you have 150 people, which is you know, from uh, starting to become that sort of slightly different vibe because it's beyond the Dunbar number, as I was mentioning. Mm-hmm. So I think it's hard to do it in an entirely democratic way. Having said that, you need buy-in. So actually in the recent iteration that I, I mentioned I'm working on, which is why this is so timely, is uh, we are doing some work around this with respect to anonymous surveys. Um, so I do think it's critically important to get feedback from the team. And and the team is the foundation of the company, of course. So do you feel like in 2017, you did it at the right time? Or would you have done it earlier in retrospect? Or what might you have done differently sitting where you're at now? Yeah, I was having this discussion uh, with my friend, Nathan, who's the founder of Airbnb. He's one of our advisors and a friend of mine from college. And uh, I was asking him the same questions. I was talking about some of these leadership changes that we're making in the evolution. He told me at Airbnb, they had, I think, 16 values that they wrote up before they hired anyone. Mm. That was something that he felt was really, really valuable. And then he said they just got whittled it down over the years. They just got rid of a lot of the stuff. And I Mm -hmm. think now they might have four or five, maybe four, I think he said. 
And I think if you have it from the beginning, that's better would be my my feedback and advice to anyone mm. listening. I mean, I think it's, I would say, looking back, I've had to do a lot of stuff and play many roles. I think I've just always focused on trying to grow the business as quickly as possible and probably not done as much on these types of areas. And the more reading, the more research, the more advice I get, the more and more important this becomes. Uh, actually, going back to blitzscaling and the sort of evolution, I thought LinkedIn, the LinkedIn CEO, and that's not Reid Hoffman. Uh, they brought, I think, Jeff Weiner in. Just listening to him talk about how important not just the values are, but the mission and vision. So I would add not just you know working on values, but the mission and vision, and that's something that you know I've done a lot more of in the last two years. And I think once you've got the mission and vision, you know, the values are closely tied to it. They are different things. And I think that those are all interrelated because what you're trying to do, I think, is you're trying to separate the continual change, the continual flux, the up and down roller coaster that just keeps getting faster away from the things that will always be there. And I keep coming back to that book because I've just been reading it, but it's so good. It's talking about just this concept of like, if it's continual change and you keep cycling out people within the company, you know, maybe even the CEO is a different CEO. So what is there that's always perpetual and it's the mission vision and then the values. Mm -hmm. So as you become more and more evolutionary, I think that's super powerful. So your values came first and mission and vision afterwards. Is that right? No, I, I think the um, mission has been the one that I'm more consistent and confident with. I think that comes through the purpose. You know, I built this company because I was one of the first third-party sellers. And it's just very easy for me to say, look, I know the pain of dealing with Amazon or Walmart. And I, and I can understand why we're in business, why we get up every morning. And that has come very natural to me. The idea of then creating whatever it is, four values, 10 values, or whatever the number is, feels more abstract to me than the mission. Mm -hmm. The mission has been refined over the years, but I've always had something pretty close. It's been like optimize for sellers profitability and sellers is so important because Amazon doesn't focus on sellers, it focuses on customers. So that that mission statement has has come more naturally to me just from you know how the company's born. And I think that is the most important thing, that mission statement, that you know, the why why are you here type thing. And how is the vision different? Is it different than the mission? Yeah. I'm not an expert on this, but having done more and more work on it, I, I think coming back to the Jeff Weiner example. There is a, a really good YouTube of him talking at the Stanford class and, and he actually talks about this because he had to come in to LinkedIn and, and take it to the next level, so to speak. So he, he has a section where he's talking about exactly your question, Lindsay. He describes the mission as the why do we get up in the morning? Like what's what's the purpose? You know, in our case, it's to maximize the potential of sellers and brand owners on the most valuable marketplace. And that's the focus. That's the mission itself. That's what we're setting out to do. The vision in contrast, that's like your North star, as he describes it. That's like, where will you end up if you are successful with the mission? 
Mm-hmm. If you're imagine an analogy where you're walking up a very steep hill with all of the employees with you and you're pointing to the top, that's what you describe as the vision, the end state that you may never get to. So our end state and our vision would be for every seller and brand owner to be using a marketplace optimization platform and that's our software. I'm trying to think of like an example, like a Facebook one would be everyone's connected or you know, often the vision I think is impossible or borderline impossible. It's the the visionary state that you get to. I think LinkedIn actually has these on its website and next to its uh, values as well. So I thought that was a really good explanation of the difference between mission and vision and, and something that we've been using. And I thought it was super powerful. Yeah. So for example, very quickly, mission of LinkedIn is to connect the world's professionals to make them more productive the vision is a little bit more abstract. It's create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce. I think that kind of framework works quite well. I thought it was very logical. You know, Airbnb seems to be doing pretty good, but I, I'm also not surprised they t- brought down that 16 values to a, to a handful. That's, that sounds like too many to uh, be able to keep track of or be useful, I'd argue. Well, Amazon has, so this is so top of mind because I've been reading all of these. So Amazon has- It's like you studied for this episode. I know. (laughs) That's great. Someone did. (laughs) I think that's a good, good point, actually, because that is the evolution of a CEO or a founder's role. You know, what percentage of my time is dealing with people or persuading people to see the vision or, or, or dealing with people who are kind of not necessarily aligned or, you know, all of those things become so immersive to the role. Whereas, you know, four years ago, it was like, well, what does this page look like? Or does customer X need an upgrade or, you know, he or she's churned or some other thing that I was chasing. So, It is interesting to think about how much time is spent on this. So to come back to Amazon, I think they have 14 on their website and I'm just looking at it now. So leadership principles, they call them. And what they define, which I think is quite good, is it's pretty much the framework to make decisions. And I think that's the same as LinkedIn's. It's really what they say is like how we make decisions. The way we make decisions is determined by the values of the core of who we are. So I actually think, you know, the more research I do on this, I think that's a really powerful concept. The values are, to me, how you make decisions at the company that are consistent across the team. You know, that's probably where we have to do the most work because the values that I've got right now are on our website and, you know, are three years old now are a little bit vague. They don't talk about running them through that filter, the filter being, how do we make a decision? I think that's when you start to get real power because what you can then do is hire and fire and make big decisions through the filter of those values. And when I kind of, that clicked to me, because then I was like, okay, then now these things are really valuable. Like let's actually really put time in to define these new values because we're really going to stand by this as a, as a guideline for how we lead, how we make decisions and how we operate. As you do this from where you're at now, you're, you, do you have to be careful that you don't sort of pull things out of thin air that are not reflective of the company that you are or are unrealistic or aren't actually how you make decisions in your culture? Well, yes, definitely. But then that comes down to your some choices, which make these values even more valuable to define them. 
So, I mean, I'll, I'll report back and let you know when I've done them, but, um, and they're, they're being used, you know, in the next three years, I can, you know, sort of confirm hopefully that they've worked really well, but, you know, there are some really big ones, you know, the first one that I can tell you we're definitely going with is to be customer first. And, you know, I think many companies sort of put that one at the front, you know, the Amazon one is, is focused on that and, uh, Airbnb, and LinkedIn has members first. And I felt like that was just really important for us as well, because our customers are the sellers. So we've actually started to apply this more recently. We're releasing a new version of our software and the way that we're bringing it to market is through a series of content-driven webinars around what we're calling the customer growth series and the way that we're doing the testing for the software and getting feedback is using real customers, you know, and we have an all hands every Monday and we had a customer on, on it. The first time we've had a customer on unscripted, literally have a customer drop into 150 person all hands and just have them talk about their background and stuff. So I feel really good about it. Um, and I think it's the sort of thing that new employees can really get behind because it's so tangible. It's like, okay, the value says customer first. Well, like it's now showing up everywhere and, it's not slowing us down or it doesn't feel like it's paying lip service to some sort of fuzzy concept. It's like super central to how we should ship the product, market it. In our marketing materials, you know, we're going to put customers at the forefront and and actually have them show up in, you know, the content versus our own employees. Because that's our secret weapon, I think, relative to Amazon, because as I keep saying, we're building for those customers. As you were talking, I, I was thinking about something that I had said on the episode about values with Lindsay and I, and that is the idea that one of your values is, is customers first or, or being customer centric. What company wouldn't want to have that as one of their values? And that on the surface, when you just sort of look at the values of any company superficially, they can seem like they're not very meaningful. But I think when I talk to companies, and this is the case at ThoughtBot too, like there is a real meaning behind it. And it really does reflect, if if you've gotten them right, how it works. So reflecting on that, like this is something in particular that ThoughtBot has grappled with. We don't have any customer-centric values. Mm -hmm. And we continually check ourselves on this as like, are we really a consulting company that doesn't have like that value of, of you know, customer comes first or customer-centric or whatever? Mm -hmm. And we continually reaffirm that that's the case. And I think that it would be disingenuous of ourselves if we were to put something like that as one of the values when it really wasn't the truth. It's yeah. not how we make decisions. Yeah. And when you analyze it, how we make decisions as a team is that the product is first, that we yeah. care more about creating great products and working with customers to do that. Like we're product centric, not customer centric, I guess is the way to put it. Yeah, I think it's a really good point, Chad. It's sort of how genuine that they are to the core of what you actually do. And this is where they become super valuable because as it starts to scale, as the company starts to scale, some of these decisions, there are forks in the road. I feel like at this size, 150 people, the fork in the road is potentially being corporate. That's the thing that really worries me. And when mm -hmm. I say corporate, I mean, I suppose bad decisions. Yeah, bureaucratic, <laughs> exactly. 
So, you know, I think you can counter them with really meaningful values. And one, I don't have the wording quite right on this, but be willing to roll up your sleeves is one I really want. Mm -hmm. And I I just don't have that in the current value set, but I don't want to have executives that are at the top of the company who aren't willing to get their hands dirty and dig in. And that's just a choice that I, that I want to make. And similar to the choice that you're making and how you want people to think about products over customers. So I am, I, I am really excited about the certain ones like that, you know, risk as well, relating to bureaucracy and scale, you know, the idea that, you know, you're able to LinkedIn has a good wording here. They talk about take intelligent risks. I mean, that sounds yeah, I wouldn't say it sounds cliche or obvious, but if you really think about like how difficult that is to do when you're scaling up and you've got a certain level of layers and you have some choices of the types of people you want to hire, you do want to calibrate to a culture around risk and continual change in an intelligent way. So, and we've made mistakes on hiring for sure. And when I think about what I'm doing when I'm writing out the new values or working on the new values as I'm doing right now, I'm trying to think about like, well, how could I have used better values to counteract that? And, you know, willing to roll out your sleeves and taking intelligent risks. It doesn't mean get the whole company taking risk. It just means if we're looking at, let's say, acquiring a company in Tel Aviv and hiring a sales guy in Hong Kong, which we've just done, I feel like those were intelligent risks and I feel like we could have continued to improve our kind of alignment if we embrace that because we have to move quickly. The industry is moving quickly. For example, this time last year, there were questions of whether we should even work with Walmart. Would we upset Amazon? Walmart's not going to be a big deal in retail because Amazon's going to eat everyone. And then now, a year later, you know, we've got a significant amount of revenue now growing on Walmart and on Walmart shows up in the stock market as being faster growing than Amazon and no, not really threatening Amazon's dominance ultimately yet, but potentially. And I think if we didn't think about that, you know, where would we be if we didn't take that calculated risk? And not everyone was on the same page for whether to go after that. So I do think you can, you know, be better. I think a company like Amazon as as one example or LinkedIn. Um, I mean, these are great companies that there are multiple examples that you can think of if you really study those companies that they've actually done that. And I'm sure they've used it. I mean, Airbnb is a great one. You know, they've had to go through so many things, especially this year. They've just had from the very beginning. You know, they had no investors, no one believed in them. And then I think this year, I mean, they're, they're now filing to go public, you know, in a year where everything is very, very challenged in the travel industry. And I think if you would ask Nate and his other two co-founders, they would come back to the values. Um, I can tell you this for sure, because I was talking to Nate about it very recently, and they actually really, really believe in them at the very highest level. And that's what gets them through these tough times. As you're doing this values rewriting exercise, are you starting from your existing values or are you trying as much as it's possible to actually start with a clean slate? Yeah, I am starting with a clean slate. It's so interesting just being on this podcast and I'm sort of vulnerable here because it's such a deep part of the the business, but even Chad's question of like, how did they come about? And I wasn't even really sure when I answered that question, you know, 10 minutes ago, I said, well, you know, I think they came from the engineering team. Like I've felt 
much more comfortable now just kind of working them on my on my own and then what i'm trying to do is say okay if every employee acted this way as a cohesive team would i be proud and would would i personally think this is the right way to do it and there's almost and i don't want it to come across super egocentric as i describe this process but i think there's actually even more need to think about you know what kind of company that i want to build because it becomes more important to have leadership. I mean, we can go in multiple directions. You know, we could probably end up being a pretty successful exit as an advertising tech company. I don't want to do that. I want to take more risk and I want to go further. So if you started to sort of think about what people want to do on the leadership team, or maybe even listening to different investors, people are on our board, there's all these different voices. You know, I am starting again and I'm sort of, stepping back and then just enjoying this idea of not as a megalomaniac coming up with just values of the sort of like a dictatorship and there's going to be buy-in and teamwork but i think there is an opportunity to kind of shape the company that i really want and people do want that right they want clarity to know what we are versus sort of wishy-washy i was just reading an article and i can't remember which company it was but they recently reaffirmed or, or changed some values and lost some people because of it. And mm. even though that's frightening, at least they're meaningful, right? Like if you are too yep. wishy-washy, if you are too vague and your and your values aren't meaningful, in the same way that people might be willing to leave over them, that also means that people will be willing to stay or to come to your company because yep. they do match your values. And that's really important. I totally agree with that. And it just becomes more and more important because you're making the tough decisions. I think in the beginning, you have less choices sometimes. You know, I, I was hiring, you know, almost everyone from Craigslist, you know, back in the day. And now we have lots of choices of different types of people. I mean, it really did feel in contrast that, you know, the eras in the past where I didn't really have many choices. Mm -hmm. So you're sort of just trying to get anyone with a pulse to kind of work on <laughs> work on the business. That's what it felt like at least. And now it's like, okay, well, we we could go in some different directions here and the decisions we make and the types of people we hire, especially in leadership, will define who we are. You know, some of those people might really upset existing people. Some of the style might completely shift and you have to make a conscious decision. And, you know, it's a fork in the road. But I think that's the biggest test and I haven't, you know, gone through that yet of like the scaling question. I highly recommend that blitzscaling book. I mean, there's another sort of analogy that it talks about, which is the ship of Theseus, which is this Greek mythology, but it's the idea that the ship going on this journey has had so many changes of its parts by the time it gets to the other end of the journey. Is it the same ship? because they've pretty much rebuilt everything, you know, there, and there are a couple of planks there, but is that the same ship or not? And it's sort of this paradox. Mm -hmm. And I think the point being and why it shows up in the book is you basically have to be growing and you have to be comfortable with that. So then if that's the case, well, what's there? It's the mission and the vision and the values yeah. of the, the, the destination that they were headed in. Yeah. Made it the same Yeah, ship. exactly. It's awesome. I, I've just been, it's a sort of obviously deep stuff, but it's super important uh, right now, I think for our company and I'm sure many others. Yeah. I, I think there's a reason why we chose this. It's timely for a lot of companies, including ThoughtBot to be in this period of time where 
maybe you know you thought you needed to organize or work one way or that your vision was one thing and the current reality of working and the marketplace and and the needs of customers and the needs of businesses are very different and we're going through a, a period of transition as well in terms of reaffirming or reevaluating our vision and our mission and our values I think a, a lot of companies are doing that now. Do you think that relates to COVID or just flux in the market and there's so much volatility in tech, positive and negative? What, what do you think is driving that, Chad? I think the pandemic is a catalyst for it. I can't speak for other companies besides ThoughtBot, really. But for us, we've been seeing and feeling some things for a little while in terms of how we were organized geographically, for example, and only hiring locally and, and those kinds of things. And it had been sort of simmering in the background as a question for a little while in terms of our vision and, and mission. And the pandemic has caused us to need to face that issue. And, you know, maybe if it had been here and done in June and we were all back in our offices and, and everything, it wouldn't have caused us to need to change. But from where we sit today, we just came to the conclusion, like, we can't be in this limbo state for any longer. Yeah. Just coming back to the remote versus non-remote, for us, I think, has been good because we've mm -hmm. made some decisions that we wouldn't have made. Like, would we have acquired a company in Tel Aviv and let them build a product that's integrated into our core product? It would be harder if we weren't in COVID because of the remote nature now and we're all on the level playing field. So I think it's going to be a sort of a catalyst to you know, changes and talent arbitrage and things like that. So I agree with your point that it's a change. I mean, for some companies, it's a challenge and, you know, it's an evolution. For us, I feel, I feel pretty excited about it. I mean, I love Boston. I mean, I've lived here for some time, but I've just, I don't know. I just think that there's a lot out there mm -hmm. and not being trapped in one of the most expensive markets for technology talent so for example, we hired three people in our team who are managing customers who were our customers in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just awesome. Like they're so, so good with our software. They're just so passionate. And I met one of them at a customer event two years ago. We wouldn't have done that. And that's sort of how the values, you know, have really made that front and center. So we've made a big deal about that. It really is, is it depends on how you, you know, look at it. And I think if you're optimistic, there's just so many positives to take out of it. And that's, to me, the only way to move forward, isn't it? To just, you know, try and find the uh, positive opportunities. You know, I think we're lucky though, to be in an industry that is seeing tailwinds. So, mm -hmm. I mean, not everyone has that. Uh, and I, I know it's very difficult for some. Yeah, definitely. For, I think a lot of companies is just dealing with remote working is a challenge for ThoughtBot. That wasn't really the challenge specifically because we, mm. we were able to do our work remotely pretty well, uh, particularly once customers were also remote. For us, it was the fact that our business model was so tied to geography and the way that we were organized in, in teams. And I think, you know, bringing it back to values, like once we actually looked at our values we didn't need to change them. <laughs> we didn't actually change our values. We we more reaffirmed them 
reaffirm that no these values transcend the situation we're in now or what we need to do it was only our go-to-market strategy that needed to really be changed to meet the current reality and and future too and still it has ended up that we're actually really heavily still using those values now after reaffirming them to inform that go-to-market strategy as well mm. which is mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. this year has created extremes uh whether that be from investors or just the public stock market as an example and i think that does play into the whole sort of world of operating a tech company i mean it is it, it does seem very bizarre to me that it's sort of a boom and bust cycle where you've got these like vcs as an example because we you know we've we've got vc funding so you know something that i think about is like in the portfolio you've got some companies that have gone to zero very quickly and then some others that have you know grown very very fast and i think just that sort of psychology has created some really interesting dynamics um i wouldn't call it particularly healthy either um you know if you just look at the stock market in general it's sort of it doesn't feel very balanced and almost every time there's some vaccine news zoom goes you know down 10 percent, and then you know delta airlines goes up you know 10 percent, and then it kind of comes back up it's just like that seesaw and that it's kind of hard to run a business uh, in that even if you're on the tech side because we've been asked many times like why aren't you growing and now we're growing you know very very quickly which i'm fortunate for but in covid at the beginning we weren't growing because our customers couldn't get their inventory into amazon and walmart but i was getting feedback from outsiders saying well why are you, you must be growing as quickly as amazon is and then, well we're not selling essential goods typically and it's this sort of misunderstanding i would almost say there's a greed component mm. to you know what drives the stock market and some you know tech investments and it feels a little bit worrying to me, like how overheated certain things are. Um, obviously, people are pivoting their capital in. I mean, it, it, so many things don't quite make sense. And I think that plays into psychology of your employees, investors, life in general. It's just a very bizarre year to be you know, running a tech company or, or actually doing anything, of course. But you know, just observing that, I, I can feel that coming through in the different types of people that we interact with as founders and operators. I think that, you know, we're coming up on the end of the year. And one of the things we're talking about wrapping up each episode with with our guests, and we're wrapping up the year of following along with you and take a metrics at the same time is how are you thinking about the end of the year and going into the new one and planning in such uncertain times, but also just in general, how are you thinking about that? Yeah, I just want to say, you know, it's been a a really fun series of podcasts that I've had with you and Lindsay, and it's evolved as we've gone through the different episodes. And it is a journey. And uh, I think the the good thing is, I'm personally enjoying it. I think, you know, there is a, a level of excitement at our company. There are many, many challenges and, you know, lots and lots of negative things. But then I, you know, I think some of the the positive things are so positive. So when I think about 2021, I suppose from a business standpoint, the number one thing that we're thinking about is raising our next round of capital Mm -hmm. because we're on the journey of the different stages of a company and it is a lot around milestones. And, um, 
we've grown very quickly this year. We've evolved onto Walmart. We've evolved the product beyond advertising. So the number one thing that I'm thinking about from a business standpoint is we're going to be in a new company this time next year in the sense that instead of being identified as one of the leading companies to help with Amazon advertising, we're going to be talked about related to that mission statement to be a company that helps unlock the potential of people selling on Amazon and pulling different levers around inventory, pricing, and so on. I think I'm going to have a really good shot at that in 2021. 2020 was like in between it. Mm-hmm. We you know, started to show that change. Not as many people could see it evolve or the questions. So I think, I think it's a really exciting year next year. And I think we've got a really good chance of evolving. And that's exciting. You know, there are people that have, uh, I'm not doing this to sort of fight against people that have been the naysayers, but, you know, there's been many people that would say, oh, you know, Amazon's going to do this, or, you know, you're going to find it very hard to go beyond Amazon ad tech or ad tech or, you know, the number of rejections, you know, hundreds of rejections, even employees leaving, you know, senior employees, people who've you know been part of the company, just thinking that, look, you can't get to the next stage, you should just sell out. So I'm really excited for 2021. It will be sort of this, uh, I think, an opportunity to take it to the next stage. I mean, if you were Amazon, it would be the same as saying you should have sold to Barnes and Noble for books or, you know, Uber still doing black cars instead of, you know, Uber or, or Facebook. I remember being in college and it was an outcry of Mark Zuckerberg opening Facebook up beyond EDU email addresses. I mean, can you imagine if that didn't happen? And that was actually a huge debate. I remember like people just being really freaked out about it's going to go beyond like Ivy League universities. And I was like, or whatever it was at the time. It was Mm -hmm. just, I I mean, obviously comparing myself here to like these huge companies, but I just think it's going to be a bit like that this time next year. I'll look back at it. I hope so. Well, thanks so much, not only for your time this year, but your honesty and transparently sharing with us and and the audience your journey, including, you know, some of the difficult times. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Uh, It does feel a bit like therapy. You know, when I've been booked for these (laughs) podcasts with you, it's sort of like, okay, let's drop it in on the calendar. And that's kind of going from all these different meetings and projects. And then it's it's actually been very therapeutic. Maybe we should keep it going. I, I actually you know, <laughs> genuinely feel like it's healthy because there is not much reflection. I mean, again, going back to COVID, I mean, it's back-to-back Zoom meetings, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you know, 10, 11, 12 hours a day. Chad, I know you're on something similar probably. Mm-hmm. Just taking a break to like step back and be asked about the big picture, I think it's really healthy. I've genuinely found this, you know, this whole experience and the podcast series has been really good for me and you know, I really appreciate being part of it. Well, I think we can safely say we'll probably check back in with you at some point. Yeah, definitely. Thanks. We'll want to know. And also, I really wasn't expecting this outcome, but we've we've heard the same thing from the other founders who we've got mm. on this the series saying how helpful it is to just take this time to zoom out. And, yeah. and talk about some of the big picture things. So that, that's been amazing. No, it has. You're doing great stuff. And I ho- hope you continue and hopefully uh, the audience have enjoyed it and I look forward to being part of more things regarding ThoughtBot and entrepreneurship in general. Thanks for everything. Awesome. If people want to follow along with you and take a metrics, what's the best way to do that? Uh, LinkedIn for me is the easiest place to find me. You know, that's probably where I've got the largest quote unquote social presence. So happy to connect and uh, engage with anyone on, on that format. 
You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at host at giantrobots.fm. You can find me on Twitter at cpytel. And me on Twitter at lindsay3d. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.